showing them one of these things. And then there are some very useful videos like on the targeting cancer website that you've done, Julie, to help um, educate patients. So they aren't surprised when they turn up on day one what this is about. And in a way, what you're saying is that that mask, which is made for each individual, we all have our own personal mask, is part of the price we pay for much more precise treatment and fewer side effects. It's just part of what we have to manage and that you'll help us manage it. That, that, that's right. And I think, you know, about the work being done by groups like ImageX, you know, that's the way we're going. We know already we've breast cancer patients. We can now treat them without the tattoos they used to need to have uh, to, to make sure they're in the right position. Um, but it is a very significant step further to be able to take the mask away for patients that are having treatment to the head and neck or brain region. And uh, in, in another of our videos, I'll just let our audience know, we will be interviewing people about the ImageX Institute and some research they've been funded to do on an alternative technology to the mask. It's called the Remove the Mask Project. Uh, we'll also hear from a, a leading psychologist who will explain some of the strategies that people who do find it an anxious experience uh, to wear the mask, some of the practical strategies that are used to help us cope. So we'll have other videos in this series that will deal with that. Let's come back to um, more on the future, where the future lies. You've mentioned this MRI LINAC and that's already you know, taking lollipop steps, which is fantastic. We have got a video on chemotherapy and immunotherapy and some of the innovations there. Talk a little bit about the integration of radiation therapy and uh, immunotherapy. What's on the horizon there? So, Julie, I think actually it's the integration of surgery, radiation and these therapies, systemic therapies as we call them, whether it's chemotherapy or immunotherapy. So as one changes, we need to change the other. Um, unfortunately, it takes a significant period of time to work out what the right thing to do is because obviously we shouldn't make big changes without good clinical evidence that it's a safe thing to do. Now, really for the last decade, the talk has all been about reducing or the intensity of treatment because we know that will equate usually to better function. Obviously, the risk of doing that is that we might go too low in intensity and we actually start to impact on survival, which of course we don't want to. And so particularly with HPV-positive oropharynx cancers, we know that the outcomes for those patients are better than if they, it was an HPV-negative tumour. What we don't know is how much can we safely reduce the radiation dose, where can we omit chemotherapy, and which patients can get away with just one type of treatment, surgery or radiation, or do, do some patients actually need all three? And, and you know, this is a really difficult problem because we've all had patients who have HPV-positive tumours who we expect will do well, yet they haven't done well despite having very intensive treatment. And so it's, you only have to have one of those patients to to really then be, you know, make you extremely cautious about either reducing the radiation dose um, or omitting chemotherapy uh, to reduce the side effects of treatment and so on, to realise that we have to tread very carefully forwards and not take leaps of faith. And so, Dion, effectively, is there research happening now uh, to, uh, to see 
if it's possible, to reduce some aspects of treatment to do less side effect damage um, and on what sort of patients that may be the case. But it's still a research area. Absolutely. So, you know, there are now some studies coming out about either reduced radiation dose, those that have robotic surgery, can you omit radiotherapy afterwards based on, you know, how big their tumour was, how many of the lymph glands were involved and so on. At this stage, it's all very early. And so um, it, it's really difficult because, of course, we want to make sure the patient has the best quality survival. Um, but um, we just need to go very carefully. Now, as far as immunotherapy goes, so there are some studies happening of immunotherapy uh, being used with radiation, post-radiation in the, in the curative setting. Um, at this point, most immunotherapy and the, and, and the people that can access immunotherapy on the PBS in Australia are those where, unfortunately, the cancers come back and there isn't a curative treatment option. But we are going to see immunotherapy move into the curative part of treatment, but exactly how it fits and what's, you know, which is the right drug and the, and the right dose and so on, uh, we're still a fair way off that. And I should let you know, we do have uh, in this video series an interview with two medical oncologists who will explain more about what Dion has just referred to. What are the common chemotherapies and what innovations are happening there? And what are some of the immunotherapies and work that's being done there? And whether it's necessary to pay for it, as some people do do in order to try and give themselves a better chance of survival, or whether they can get it on the pharmaceutical benefit scheme, the PBS, which basically means we get it funded under Medicare. If you're just new to all this, there is a lot to learn, but don't worry. Cancer Council have a, an information and support line, 13 11 20, 13 11 20. And you can ring them. They have clinicians on the end of the phone and they will send you booklets. Uh, they'll give you information themselves or they'll find the information that you need. And another great source of information is a website called the Beyond 5 website. So it's www.beyond5.org.au. And we'll be putting these words up around uh, the page where you're watching this video. And that is a marvellous source of information on head and neck cancer. It has patient stories. It has amazing anatomical diagrams so you can understand uh, where your cancer is and what the treatment modalities are. Dion, just before I ask you a bit more about Beyond 5, because I think it's good to let people know about that, there's one last question I have and then I'll see if there's anything else that you want to say. My question is this. We've interviewed uh, Associate Professor Richard Gallagher, an ENT surgeon whom you work with and who's in, with you, the co-host of this series. And he certainly uh, uh, has indicated that for some patients who are getting the robotic surgery, the trans-oral robotic surgery, in some circumstances, they don't require radiation as well. Is the reality that if I went to a multidisciplinary team meeting with you and Richard Gallagher and everybody else, you sort of debate and discuss in relation to each individual patient? Absolutely, Julie. I mean, absolutely crucial because we don't actually know at this time exactly which patient can safely go without. There are some, it's clear. A very early, a small cancer in the tonsil that hasn't gone anywhere else that's completely cut out, 
No argument from me, they don't need any further treatments. But there are a number where either it's close to where it's been cut out, there are some uh, adverse factors when the pathology doctor has looked under the microscope has described these adverse factors that make us concerned and then we can be not sure. And actually, it comes down to hopefully achieving consensus in that meeting when we have the pathologist there telling us exactly not just what they've written on a piece of paper, but but actually where we can quiz them and ask them some more questions. And the pathologists are the, are, are the clinicians that look at the actual tumour and give you detailed information about this particular tumour in my throat. Yes. And, and look, we look into a whole lot of things where the tumour's located. We've talked mainly about oropharynx cancers and so on today, but of course the the head and neck region extends really from, from the nasal cavity in behind nasopharynx into the pharynx and includes the mouth right down to just below the voice box. Um, and each anatomical site, um, we know more about that they can behave quite differently to one of the other anatomical sites. And we talked about HPV versus the HPV positive cancers versus the non-HPV positive. And if I could just explain for people who are new to all this, uh, the, the two other main causes of uh, uh, cancer in your tonsils, tongue and throat can be uh, smoking or heavy drinking. And the human papillomavirus is now uh, coming up as another very major cause of, of these cancers in that area. Listen, can I just ask you, we saw right at the beginning of this video, Hans Eid, a patient who's had radiation and surgery, and he was basically crying out for access to a multidisciplinary team to help beyond the five years. Uh, because, and I've had in, in preparation for these videos, many emails and, and questions sent to me with very specific concerns about you know, I can't open my mouth very much after the surgery. I still don't have any saliva. I still have to use a peg tube to have my liquid food only. I could go on, you know, uh, dry mouth comes up a and lot. And not to mention the dental problems. And the dental problems. And we do have an interview in our series with a very experienced uh, dentist. So there are some people who, despite all the effort of the team, have prolonged... Uh, and serious functional and side effect issues. Do you think we could increase access to rehabilitation with a multidisciplinary team? Is that a, a still-to-be-done thing in this area? Well, I think the key people that are, are, are required are those that attend multidisciplinary meetings. And so it is a point at least of access where, you know, we can take patients along that we've seen in follow-up that have these problems. I think though there are a lot of challenges there. As people are longer out from treatment, we tend to see them less frequently. We don't necessarily appreciate as well because we're seeing them less often, the troubles that they're having. Um, and, and so I we don't always help them navigate to where they actually need to navigate to. What it feels like, if I may say as a patient is that almost like f at five years there's a kind of a tape in some sort of race and we breast it and then you're all so busy with the acutely ill people who are still in that early multi-checking phase to check they don't get recurrence that we just get a lot less attention. Yeah I mean I, I agree and I think the whole survivorship space in cancer is one that there is a lot more discussion about now. The focus has not been of survivorship in head and neck cancer so much, but in fact, I would argue that's where it should be because 
your patients with head and neck cancer often pay the close to the greatest price in terms of long-term problems related to their therapy. So not just psychological, but very significant physical problems. And um, we, we, we can do better with that. And I think um, you know, Hans highlights that really, that, that people, he can be really appreciative of the care that he got. But you know, when it comes further down the track, accessing the system, we know how hard the healthcare system is to navigate. And, and navigating to the right people, it, especially if it turns out it's a, a problem that isn't one dealt with by members of that multidisciplinary meeting, but other specialists, that can be really hard to know. Who is the right person? Who is the one that's going to really say, yeah, I can see what the issue is here and, and work closely with the, the, the previous treatment team to make sure that that patient gets optimal care. And that's a real challenge, Julie. And, and look, I think, you know, dental is part of really, you know, is, is probably the biggest challenge of all of that because of the lack of funding of dental. Uh, you know, my, my goal, and I, I, we interview uh, Associate Professor Sharon Liberali, a special needs dentist from Adelaide in this series, and I've told her that before we both die, we have to get a special inclusion of the mouth for uh, Medicare, for public patients, uh, for head and neck cancer patients because we have such particular dental needs. This is a personal passion. Go for it, Julie. <laughs> but just before I let you go, and I'm looking forward to interviewing uh, a very experienced speech pathologist and dietitian to look at the issues uh, of radiation therapy treatment uh, f from their clinical perspective. In a nutshell, why should people go to wwwbeyond 5 .org.au, this Beyond 5 website. Why should both clinicians and patients and family go to that website and have a look? You should go and have a look at Beyond 5 because it is internationally the most uh, comprehensive website when it comes to patient information about head and neck cancer. This information, it was identified, this imp such a resource was missing and a huge effort has gone into this. It's used, it has hits from all over the world now. It, is, it has the cancers broken down into all the different areas. It, it talks about all the different treatments. It has great animations on there to explain the anatomy and, and, and what can be done. It doesn't just deal with cancers of the lining of the, of, the, um, uh, of the mouth and head and neck region, but also salivary gland cancers and skin cancers. Um, and, and so it's all in one spot and it also has contacts that you can get to. You can see, you know, do you is there a patient support group in the area that you live in? Or maybe there isn't, but there's one you can contact. Um, and so it is a great resource for patients with head and neck cancer and a very reliable one because we know out there, you know, there's a lot of sort of unreliable information. It's hard to find that one, one place. Look, Dion, thank you so much. And uh, as you can hear, Beyond 5 is a great resource for you, as is 